like a buddy cop movie where both guys are the loose cannon. It's Sin the Fields. Welcome to Sin the Fields. I'm Tad Whistle. I'm Patrick Stegemiller. Pat, we've got a big show this week. We're talking college nationals. We're catching up with Robbie Vasudevan from the site and from Eurozone, the tremendous podcast that puts the world in alti-world. Mm-hmm. But first, you had an interesting double-double this weekend. A <laughs> tournament and then a Sunday night wedding. Yeah, weddings and Frisbee, you know, the oil and water of our uh, <laughs> 20s and 30s lifestyles. Never the twain shall mix. Was able to emulsify a little bit this weekend. That's a cooking term, those of you at home. Plus um, one. And uh, yeah, it was a one-day round robin in Allentown. It was New York warm-up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is a really great uh, really great display of how inaccessible field space is in New York City. Yeah. Um, and then... Drove back Saturday night, watched the gridlock game, uh, and then got up, drove out to Warwick, Rhode Island for the Sunday night wedding. I mean, Sunday night weddings are brutal. Like, and I get, look, there's a backlog of engagements during the pandemic. So now we're suffering from severe wedding inflation, you know, uh, and people are having to, there's no venues to be had. There's scarcity. So people are paying too much for, you know, uh, Sunday night venues uh, but that said, man, just a Sunday night wedding is real is real tough. And then having to get up ass early at like five forty five to drive back for work on Monday. Oh my god! Yeah, not great. Yeah, not you. Great. We were texting about it. We were texting, and you're like, "Hey, I'm driving back from a wedding." I was like, "Monday at nine a.m. You're driving back from a wedding." <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sunday, it's just it's just tough. Everyone's like tired and it's nine o'clock and like people are leaving and the bride and groom are like, no, we have like a sparkle or send off that we need to do. And, like you know, I stuck around. I did what I could. I did my part. Um, And a cash bar, too. Which I guess is probably the responsible move on a Sunday night. But uh, no, it's not. (laughs) It's wrong. It's I I think that's one area you probably I don't know that's where you have to spend the money. Arguably, I'd say you spend the money on having it on Saturday, but that's I mean <laughs> that's just me. A person How many in the total world. people were there, Pat? Total people? Mm, maybe about sixty-five. That's not. It's a smaller wedding. Definitely a smaller wedding. Yeah. Do you feel any pressure to? bring it on the dance floor and or get uh, very drunk to, for the entertainment of the other guests? Ted, let me tell you, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, but no, I was, I, was, I was driving back to the hotel afterwards. So that's a good, you know, that's a, that's a good uh, inhibitor. Um, and my usual move at weddings is you have two of whatever the like signature cocktail is or try something out or whatever. And then you have to pick a lane and just stick with it for the rest of the night. For me, it's usually that's, that's correct. Just a tequila soda with lime, something you can't drink too fast. You tequila know. soda with lime. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps you keeps you hydrated, but uh, but also, you know, keeps you a little bit keeps you sharp too, a little. Uh, but because this time was a cash bar and it was a Sunday night and everything is, you know. 
and the dance floor was dead for, for, for most of the time. There was a moment where the DJ was playing funky town to an empty dance floor. <laughs> uh, it, it, it came back together like a little bit at the end. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, and it was also the kind of thing where it's more of like a family thing. So it's a lot of older people. And all of a sudden it's like 9 PM on a Sunday night and people are just like, my bones are tired. I have things to do. If you're going to work, you know, once the wave of dread hits you at like six o'clock on Sunday, mm-hmm. you're sort of like useless and moody, you know? Yeah. Thinking about yeah. all the tasks for the week. It's it's not entirely dissimilar from the end of a tournament day on a Sunday where you're driving back and you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. Uh, it's different because... You know, on the way back from a tournament, I think you have a little bit more like, okay, like breaking down what happened. It's a little bit more like as long as I'm still in this car, the weekend's not over. You know what I mean? There's a little bit like no, we're still in it. We're still we're still doing it. Or I think the Sunday night wedding is a little bit more like every amount of fun I have past like 6 p.m. tonight, I'm going to pay for tomorrow. And like I can really feel that right now. Like this is just going to really fuck my day up tomorrow. Right. Finishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. But, but doing the, doing, doing the tournament wedding double whammy, which I think some people will do with the two day tournament anyways. I know, you know, we have a lot of people who are like, I can just, just play the Sunday. You know, we have the dude last year on my club team was like, we've got the wedding Saturday of regionals, but I'm going to fly back or drive back super late. I forget which one it was Saturday night. So we can play Sunday. And then of course we lost on universe point uh to not make sunday bracket uh got upset i like the fucking 11th seed it was it was really bad and it really sucked for that guy who like didn't have fun at the wedding and then just had to play like garbage you know like seven place bracket games at regionals give me his mindset and play style on sunday playing out consolation was he like a super asshole or was he like a despondent like, was he getting run through deed because he was like, fuck it? Or was he like out there to kill? No, he was more out there to kill. Also just the freshest man, you know, from having uh, not played the day before or drunk heavily the night before. Somewhat ironically, because he was the one at a wedding and we were the ones who thought we would be, uh, you know, like <laughs> it wasn't quite sockeye levels of uh, like reserve the cryo chambers like they did in 2017 <laughs> when they got knocked out day one. But it was, it was like we had like our meals catered to the hotel of like, all right, we're gonna have like a ton of Italian food, like ready to go so we can, you know, load up. That's crazy. What? Yeah. Like, like, in, like had a, there's like an Italian place near the hotel that did catering. So. All right. Don't, don't make this seem like a normal thing, Pat. Whoa, don't just I, don't. What? <laughs> Catered Italian food. You're, you were going for it. I like that. Absolutely. All right. All right, it's um, a lot of planning. Yeah. A lot of planning there, plan boy. <laughs> well, good start to the year. Good start to the year for us on Saturday, 3-0, and uh, which is great because now we'll be way overconfident and uh, <laughs> just be like, oh, no, wait, we accomplished our season goals on the first day. This is cool. Here's something. I think these round robins, mm-hmm. dumb as fuck. Here's something. There's no tournaments anymore. That sucks. Yeah. Sucks big time. 
combo of the pandemic and the effects of the TCT have kind of imploded the tournament calendar. Um, and now it's just a bunch of teams doing little round robins, which you think maybe in a year or two will blossom into new tournaments of their own, you know, a circle of tournament life, perhaps. And it's already starting to happen a little bit. You can see like uh, we're going to a round robin uh, at the end of June where when Boston Invite used to be. First, it was like three teams and now it's like six. And now it's like, maybe we should get like a trophy and like treat this like a real tournament or something. And it's like, or how about BI was just the same fucking weekend. It used to be every year. Yeah. What the fuck? And we'd all just do that. You know, structural issues in Frisbee with burnout amongst the tournament organizers. And they had the pandemic to reflect and be like, wait a minute. I work incredibly hard for basically no money and a thankless job. No, thank you. Right. And the semi-pro schedules. Semi-pro schedules are impacting stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's I mean, like, so BI is now happening in mid-July, and there's a team from Milwaukee coming. And it's like, damn, okay, things are, things are wacky out there this that year. That used to be normal. People used to do that. Well, I, I was saying it more like they must have no other options. Oh, fuck. Really? Yeah. Motown doesn't exist anymore, I guess. I guess heavyweights doesn't exist anymore. It's Chesapeake is gone. It's all these now little new round robiny things that again will hopefully in a couple of years become their own new thing. A great time for you and I to to step up, mm-hmm. to jump in, and to create like the uh, the next great quote unquote frisbee tournament uh, shell company, right? Oh, and we boy. can do like, all our like, dirt through, right? So like ultimate. But without mm-hmm. the, you know, the horribly tainted branding that they've created for themselves. <laughs> we, uh, or like Cultimate, where people were posting like the field dimensions that they walked off from these like massive tournaments. And it's like, we played on a, on a 51 yard field with 12 yard end zones. <laughs> This is not ultimate. This is something else. How about Flixture Perfect? It's so bad, I love it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Doesn't even <laughs> really apply to tournaments. <laughs> yeah, look. I'm I'm down for leaning into like the most terrible pun now. Because mm-hmm. people will have to say it, right? Because there's a the people. There's just there's a void right now. There's a void to be filled by intrepid tournament organizers. I have some personal news here, Pat. Okay. Uh, you know, I've been been trying to. I've been getting back into running, seeing what the calf can take. Okay. I, I don't. I certainly couldn't do like a round robin. Um, I'm gonna try to play a little bit at Mars, but. I have found my great comeback tournament. Okay. Someone in one of the, uh, you know, I'm in like every, I'm on like every pickup Facebook group, uh, in like southwestern PA mm-hmm. and West Virginia and some parts of Ohio. Sure. Well, in one of the most 
outlier like satellite moons of that range someone posted a pdf that just says ultimate frisbee tournament five dollars a person no experience necessary and it's gonna happen at this high school and i am gonna go wow hell yeah and just look no one in this area plays ultimate gonna be great are you worried that you're gonna have the like lacrosse dude who doesn't know what he's doing completely roll you up and fuck you up for another year and a half or are you just beyond fear at this point yeah I kinda kinda made peace with it you know as long as I get to throw like a couple fucking sick inside out flicks and what if you find some diamond in the rough that you can then like convince to play league in Pittsburgh and ride this person to another, you know, eight, two right. or three league titles. <laughs> I'm like, you know, the league's happening in the North Hills. It's only about, it's only like an 80 minute drive from where you live. Like, why wouldn't right. you come down Mondays for 5:30 game? Like, why yeah. wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You're home. You're home before 11. You're home before 11. <laughs> I'll keep you posted on uh, on that. I'll probably call you. You'll be my first call after uh, as I'm being loaded into the ambulance. <laughs> oh boy, probably. Uh, I I don't know, man. I I think that the tournament calendar situation is both definitely an opportunity, but also just such an indictment of the sense of like purpose and direction that the sport has right now. Uh, and I th- we're gonna, we're going to bridge this into college nationals, which is kind of supposedly what we were talking about in this intro section, where it just it just doesn't seem like we know exactly what the point is or what we're trying to accomplish or how much it's like cool to care about it. And it's weird, man, because the sport still super fun, still the thing I care about way too much, um, like, you know, already enjoying the club season a lot this year. But just the lack of, I don't know if it's just that like the pyramid of USAU feels a little more disjointed, like it doesn't have that kind of momentum to it. If it's still just COVID aftershocks of, you know, the calendar being a little destabilized or or what. But and at college nationals this year, it was kind of the same thing, whereas this weird kind of, OK, we had this fall nationals like five months ago. What does it mean to now be doing it again so soon? Did that season count? Does this season count? What's going on? Um, And then you get there and it was just like, I will say this, someone who loves college nationals. When we did our like tournament draft during the pandemic drafted shows on the 7500 club, I got the first pick and I drafted college nationals. D1 college nationals first overall. This was a bad nationals. This was like probably the worst. Yeah, it just never got there. It just kind of sat there and happened. You know, the the women's semi was exciting because it was close. And there was a there was a sorry, the women's final of the women's semi. The women's final between Colorado and North Carolina was exciting because it was close. But it was also a windy game and there were a hundred turnovers. So it's like, you know, that shouldn't be the highlight of the weekend, right? There were a couple moments that were cool. You know, I wrote about one for the site about North Carolina and Wisconsin. There was, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, maybe the one the, the one moment where it seemed like college nationals was really going to fully pop off 
between Colorado Mama Bird and Washington Sun Dodgers. But yeah, it was just like the good teams were better than the other teams. And at every level, they just won their games comfortably by three or four points. And I don't I think maybe it's it's partially just like, well, there was like a fall nationals and now there was a spring nationals. So that and the teams all have a bunch of like six year players on them and stuff. And it's just at a certain point you get too good for the randomness of college. Right. But yeah, man, it was just a little weird. Or how about this? Maybe I'm just old. Maybe I am just old and out of touch and everything is fine. <laughs> that there could be that too. Well, I mean, chalk's no fun, Pat, right? You know, chalk's no fun. Chalk's no fun. You know, it's not. And to your point about sixth year players, uh, creating, taking some of the randomness out of it and like being more well oiled. That's no fun too. You know, think about, if you kept playing after college, if you thought you were good in college your last year, think about two years after that. Like if you stuck with it and like really, you know, kept throwing yourself into ultimate, like, man, a uh, 25 year old me would, would have destroyed 23 year old me. And right. 23 year old me thought he was really sweet. You know, like, yeah, it's different. That's, it's a different thing. You understand the game more and i know that the, it wasn't like exactly quality time the last two years in terms of like the club experience but your body matures your decision making matures yeah i think it's it partially that and it's still just feeling it's the weirdness too of like okay we just did this in the fall but did that count like just sort of like you know like the, the narrative funnel has been disrupted a little bit which adds to it and then it, it, there, there were very few moments where it where it felt like there was real jeopardy and that's what's great about college sports and college nationals is the sense of like jeopardy. And it just didn't really exist except for the one man, <laughs> the one man, uh, jeopardy creator, the jeopardizer. Yes. Tony Veneri, who well, we'll talk about this moment a little bit. The, the, the best half of, of ultimate of the whole weekend was the first half of the mama bird sun Dodgers game. Because it was actually very well played, you know, very few turnovers. The turnovers like mattered a lot when they did happen. Uh, the O lines were doing cool stuff. The D lines were reacting to try to stop it. You got Mama Bird, who are these sort of it's like big, physically imposing team led by Alex Atkins, super fiery dude. And then you've got Washington, who are very very talented, but they're trying to fit the pieces together. And it's back and forth in the half, and then. Washington get the disc to try to break to go up eight, six at half. And this would be huge because they'd be also be receiving the pull too. So it's like they break to go up eight, six and all of a sudden it's like, they're really in the driver's seat for a big upset here. And Veneri who, uh, had a already gotten a PMF earlier in the game for a pretty crazy bid on someone, um, receives a pass and then just steps out and throws about a like 60-ish yard upwind break backhand that would have, you know, sent sent a Washington to half up 8-6. Like, would have been like a highlight of this person's playing career. Like, that's like about the coolest shit you can do imaginable. Travel called. This comes back. The stoppage in the play allows the observer to come in and give him a second PMF 
for a like a pretty bad bid he had earlier in the point. So this dude gets objected from two PMFs in one half My God. of the game, subbed out, and his like amazing upwind huge huck call comes back. And then Washington, they sub a player on, and they're able to actually put the break in and go up 8-6. But like it was just all Mama Bird from there. They just completely collapsed mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and Mama Bird blew him out in the second half, despite having to break you know an extra three times or something to do it just to get the game back on serve. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, you know, I haven't played in enough observed games and I, I'm sure that there are, there were college players uh, at that tournament that have played in more career observed games than I have, but I didn't realize that you had to wait for a stoppage. So like any stoppage, like had there been a pick, he would have received a PMF and been ejected as well, Pat. Like he's not involved. Any other stoppage? Is he still in the game? I don't know. It's. I mean, he, I guess at the end of the point, he would get taken off. He'd probably he'd probably get a PMF. But because he was the recipient of the travel call, I think it was just any stoppage would it. But but it's but it's unclear because I think that the the observers are now being a little more proactive. And what Toby said about this, neither of the bids were like horrible or egregious. They're both the kind of things that even three years ago you would have been like, whoa, easy there. You know, like that's going to be a TMF, maybe. But, the, you know, the I think there's and for good reason, you know, trying to protect players a little bit more. And also Veneri is like not a huge dude. So the bids don't actually look as dangerous. They more look just sort of crazy. It is a little different. Yeah, it does. It, it, does, a little it, does, different. it looks different when it's when it's Veneri throwing himself out. Not Babbitt. Right. Or not Babbitt or some dude. six foot three dude from Florida who's, you know, coming over the top. But it, it, I mean, but here's the thing: if there's no stoppage and he like scores a goal, and then he gets the second PMF at the end of the point, does the goal still count? It has it, to, right? It has to. But that scenario, he's ejected after punching in this upwind break, right? And then he's like, "I did my part. I'm a fucking hero." Right. <laughs> it's like you just you just took the retaliation fight after one of your stars got boarded or whatever. It's like I did my shit. Now you all handle your job at like the the timbre of the moment is much different. Right. It's like I died for my own sins and maybe a little <laughs> bit your own. Uh, and then and yeah, and then and then after that, I don't know if I mean, handle, like I've never played with a player who's gotten ejected before. I don't know how I would handle it as a as a player there. So I think Washington was a little unsettled by having their best or, you know, depending on how you feel about Manny Eckert, you know, their second best player. Um, or and I think Lucas Chan is their best player. Actually, Lucas Chan is fucking sick. Um, and not only, he also had to leave the field. He had to go sit in a tent with Will Deaver for like an no. hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait, but that wasn't that was like Will Deaver just happened to be there, right? It wasn't like you're gonna sit here and talk to Will Deaver. No, that's what happened. Really? Yeah. What are what I would love to know what <laughs> was said. Well, they were trying to figure out if he had gotten three PMFs on the tournament. Because there's three PMFs over a tournament and you're done for the whole tournament. And then I guess they had to also just give him a stern warning. I don't know. But yeah, he had to like leave the fields fully and like go to the USA U10. You're going to sit here with Will Deaver and you're going to think about what you did. Right. Tony, you sit here 
he's like wearing a dunce cap for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, this is what USAU needs. USAU needs a czar of discipline. And if anyone ejected from a game has to arbitrarily fly to Colorado Springs and like take this meeting with, it shouldn't be Will Deaver. It should be like one of like the terrible late nineties ring players. Like it should right. be like some absolute psycho who was a, <laughs> a goon and a thug and you have to sit there with them and like review the tape and then they levy the decision on, on your sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm for it. I think you you should pay us to be consultants on this project. <laughs> Will Deaver, you're like, you're going over the tape. He's like, that is a cheap and cowardly bid. You just sit there and take it. And then he's mm-hmm. like, you will not be playing at the Theodore Seuss Memorial Tournament in Buffalo this coming September. Holy shit. The dunce cap is a nice, <laughs> a nice touch, too. Just on a stool in the corner of a tent. <laughs> so, Pat, I, it seems like uh, the tournament didn't live up to your expectations in terms of the on-field product, mm-hmm. but some of the hits that happened off the field, some of the fun, some of the, some of the goofiness that goes with covering college nationals. I mean, even a little less of that than... You'd seen in previous years. It was nice to see the new teams, though, the new teams that had made it. So like UVM men's team making it um, and they got knocked out, but definitely hung around and uh, were going around really taking it to all the teams that were playing with a bunch of like six and seven years. My favorite is when they were heckling Pitt during the Pitt Cal quarter by just chanting like, finish your degree, finish your degree, finish your degree <laughs> at Pitt, who have a bunch of dudes who have been you know, uh, basically the mastered by Nick Kazmarek into, you know, <laughs> not graduating on time and wasting thousands of dollars and years of their life. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, I, but the highlight for me was definitely, and this is a little, you know, a little inside baseball talk here of uh, someone thinking that we were calling Charlie Chunk instead of Chuck. <laughs> What? Set the scene. Set the scene here. It was Charlie like walking in to the media tent and was carrying like a bunch of shit. So people were just going like, like, yeah, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. I don't know. But then <laughs> like 10 minutes later, this guy from Multiphotos was like, oh, I thought they were calling him Chunk. Chuck. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So now, of course. Right. Chunk Eisenhood. He is Chunk. He is right. Chunky Iron Helmet. Chunky Iron Helmet. <laughs> What's so great about that is, like, unknowingly, that Alti Photos guy created uh, a wonderful, never-ending headache for Charlie. As, like, 15 years from now, you just are, like, firing off the text to Chuck, like, What's up, Chunk? Hey, wondering about whatever, like, are you going to be in New York this weekend? Chunk? Like, right. <laughs> great, I'm fucking Chunk now. Right, if Chuck was bad enough, you fucking assholes. Right? Chunk. God damn it. So good. We got to embroider 
something with chunk on it and give it to him. A a very an otherwise very nice polo. One of the sweat wicking <laughs> golf polos yeah. that is like it's like too nice not to Yo, wear. Chunk loves but those says, too. Yes, and it says chunk over the left breast. Mm-hmm. In like in cursive. Right. Chunk. Call me chunk. See, in Charlie, he's too proud to lean into it. Because mm-hmm. the only way to make it go away is to be like, I am Chunk, the Chunkster. But he won't do that. So now, got to die for his own pride. R.I.P. R.I.P. Chuck. R.I.P. Chuck. Long live- Chuck is dead. Long live Chunk. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to cut to break, and then we'll be back to talk about... Uh, what's going on this weekend? No, next weekend. You'll be hearing this on Friday, June 10th. The following weekend will be Windmill in Amsterdam, a tournament that neither of us have been to, but I will be going to for the first mm. time this year. I'm very excited. Uh, we're going to have our friend and colleague, Ravi Vasudevan, on to talk us through uh, the whole experience. So stick around. It's in the field. In the Fields is brought to you by B Ultimate Apparel. Club captains claim your free B Ultimate jersey. Just pay shipping. B Ultimate wants to give each club captain a firsthand experience of what it's like to work with them. From their performance-focused products to their clear timelines to their outstanding customer service, we here at Sin the Fields think you'll be in good hands. Tell your club team captains to visit BeUltimate.com. That's BeUltimate.com and claim your free jersey. In the midst of uh, working on our jersey order with B this year, very excited about that. Um, they have a far too accommodating design process. I mean, we've been like finicky, weird assholes about this, and they've been like totally cool with it. So, thanks, B. Sorry, thanks, B. Sorry that we suck. And to be fair, there's uh, it's just it's just it's just a no win proposition. I'm like the guy I've sort of been the the captain who's like saddled with like managing the jersey order situation. And uh it's just a no win proposition because it's like you if you're a dictator and just like no, this is what we're doing. This is it. My idea. Everyone's going to be upset. I don't even have good ideas for this. But if you just leave it to like the committee of like vote on this, give us all your feedback, then it just becomes people being like well, why don't we do this? And then we kind of like settle on something and then someone comes in hot and is just like, if we don't use my idea, I will burn this team to the fucking ground. I will walk. I will walk. So uh, so all of that's cool. Um, but B has been very accommodating throughout the whole process and I cannot recommend working with them highly enough. Thanks, B. Welcome back to Sin the Fields. Joining us now from Eurozone, he is uh, six hours ahead of us. Coming to us from the future, someone should jump in and be like, that's not how it works, and then spend 10 minutes explaining time zones <laughs> to me. I think that would be fun. But joining us now, Robbie Vasudevan. Robbie, what's up, man? Hey, Tad. Hey, Pat. No, not too much. Just, uh, yeah, getting pumped. The European season's in full swing. Getting excited for windmill in a couple of weeks. I am so 
extremely jealous of you fuckers <laughs> who will be playing windmill, hanging out together. For me, windmill was always one of those tournaments. Like there would be some random coverage. Like Skyd would have like filmed some games or something, and then I would watch. I don't know some like uh, American All Star team play like some really good uh, European team, and it it was mind blowing. I would watch the whole fucking thing and try to figure out a way I could get there. But since then, I've died, and. <laughs> Uh, the specter of my former self gets to watch, hopefully gets to watch some, some footage of both of you playing. But uh, I guess, Ravi, give us, give us kind of the tournament breakdown and like why this is such a big deal, why this is such a, a huge tournament globally. Yeah, Windmill is a, yeah, it's, it's a, an amazing experience. I think it's kind of unique because it combines two bits of ultimate that I feel like the U.S., hasn't really found a way to combine, which is the party festival tournament and the high level, like real clubs playing at the same time. And I feel like that's completely gone after the triple crown tour stuff. You guys have lost that completely mm-hmm. in the U S whereas mm-hmm. windmill, you know, you're going to, if you look at the team list here, we have teams like Clapham coming over. We have, you know, uh, all the best teams in Europe, they come over, but it's this huge festival vibe. So it like combines those two things in a real awesome way. And from, I actually didn't play too many of the big party tournaments when I was in the U.S. I only played college and I didn't by the time I got to, you know, after college, I moved to Europe. So I didn't go to a lot of the club, you know, aged party tournaments, just the college ones, which are like fun Halloween things or whatever. But this is a kind of a different feel from what I've heard from Americans that come over. It's also a little bit different than how big American party tournaments are. And maybe that's because it's small. I mean, it's 80 teams, um, but it's like so it's like small enough that you still kind of feel like you're one big community all partying together. It's not like everybody has to do their own thing. There's like centralized, you know, tent, centralized party, centralized beer, you know, everyone kind of comes together, gets this festival vibe. Um, So yeah, you got that. You got the fact that it's in Amsterdam, which, you know, brings a few other interesting variables into the equation. And then you have the best level ultimate that Europe has to offer. And then you also have the fact that it's this like global Mecca at this point which has become bigger than itself. We have teams coming from India, from Singapore, obviously like American, Canadian teams, the Colombian teams coming over. Um, and then, you know, teams from all over Europe. Um, it's got all those things. And I think that it, that just doesn't exist in too many other places. And it's a world's year. So that's going to yeah. throw in an interesting wrinkle, right? Because there's going to be like teams like gearing up for the club <laughs> world championships by coming to this massive party tournament, which is such a foreign concept to someone playing in the US <laughs> right now. I get. I yeah, guess. Yeah, I yeah. guess the U.S. the U.S. World Game scene like goes to Poultry Days, so that's like sort of similar. This year they are. Yeah, <laughs> this, year. this year. Yeah, no, no, like so. I would think the none of the European World Games teams are coming to this, uh, but I think this is kind of not that vibe because it mm-hmm. would be too much. Uh, also, it's like too much because it's uh, like um, the first two days are four games, three games, and then the last day is one game. Um, mm-hmm. It's either three, four or four, three, depending on which division you're playing in. But uh, that would and they're like full length games. So that wouldn't really jive for like a 14 person roster. That's like not wanting to get injured two weeks before the biggest tournament of their lives. Um, um, so they're not going to be here. But a lot of a lot of those players might still be here on like their club teams. But a lot of the teams that are coming to club worlds are going to be are going to be here for sure. Mm-hmm. And they're totally cool getting injured. Maybe not playing <laughs> eight games in three days, but by like 
trying to do a keg stand off of like a <laughs> fake like elephant that someone brought to the fields. Yeah. Yeah. All that, all that stuff. I mean, different. Nice. It, it's always that, that is kind of the thing that they try to balance because the super serious teams come the party vibe. Um, yeah. It changes a bit on world's years, which are like every two years, whether it's the national team worlds or the club team worlds. Um, and that's like a move we made a while ago because, you know, back when this tournament was going on, this tournament is going to be the 16th edition. But like, I guess that would be the 18th year because we lost two years or 17th year or whatever, because we lost two years of COVID. Um, but back when this tournament was starting, like the open division was huge. There weren't as many women playing in, in Europe. So there used to be a 40 team open division. And then like, I think 24 mixed and 16 women. And they've swapped uh, open and mixed, or I think was the best decision they ever made, because now the open division is like this really elite thing going on. And then you can get all like the elite mixed teams, but you can also get a bunch of party mixed teams. So you still have that party vibe going on. And some teams, you know, they might not be allowed to drink as much, but there'll be enough people that are going crazy and going nuts that'll have this big mix of weird energy and vibe. And it's just always a really good time. Yeah, Robbie, it's a fine line between good energy good vibes and someone uh screaming like i need to call my mom what <laughs> wait what is that the threat of someone uh going overboard on an edible in amsterdam <laughs> oh that call your mom okay yeah. gotcha. Right. Gotcha. gotcha always Got seemed apparent to me but also for like uh first timers or people who don't really dabble i know that that's where folks can get into trouble is there is there like a uh any like a word of caution you can you can throw or, out or there or? is there like a tent for people people you can find your way there's a there's a person on our team i won't name who it is on on team euro trash which we could talk about a little bit about later oh on yeah the team we got, and got, we've got got some euro trash questions coming up there's definitely someone on our team who may have spent the majority of windmill on mushrooms once or twice uh and that but that's an experienced veteran of uh that i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend that for a first timer um they do i don't know if they still do this definitely at one point when you came to collect your like players bag uh i don't know if you americans know this but like tournaments in europe you usually get like this players pack with all this stuff i think they usually give like at windmill they give like a disc to each player and like wristbands and dinner tickets because we actually serve not just bagels and bananas at the tournament there's mm-hmm. actually like real food and and good stuff that you get with your players unripe here. bananas by the way <laughs> <laughs> um so they definitely used to offer joints in the players pack uh your first couple free ones and then you can obviously go to what we call coffee the, shops the first in ones are free is that mm-hmm. yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't think windmill deals joints out uh, not not anywhere that i've seen but it's it's easy enough to go down the street and go to what they call coffee shops in the netherlands to to get what you need because the fields are like in the city right it's not it's not 50 minutes outside of a mid-level, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's Midwestern like, a, it's, city. it's not like, it's not in the heart of the city center. It's like a, yeah, you, you, you get to central station. I think it's like a 20 minute bus from the central station out, but you're still in Amsterdam for sure. Right. You can walk from the fields to something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that something is not an Arby's a mile and a half away, <laughs> which is, you know, like the pinnacle of accommodations. Right. Yeah. yeah, you can. But I mean, usually when I go there, I'm like lost in the. It's this big rugby complex uh, that's that has like all the fields are in this one central area. It used mm-hmm. to be that the camping was there, but I think now the camping's just going to be next to the field site. 
But it is this whole festival vibe in itself. And some people do go out to the city, you know, for a night to enjoy Amsterdam. But uh, I've since I've lived in the Netherlands, I never needed to do that. I've, I've already seen the city. So I just kind of stay living, living in windmill for three days and don't really leave and just leave in a haze afterwards. Are camping tournaments common in Europe or is yeah. that? Okay. I feel like that's less common in the U.S. now than it used to be. Yeah. Um, no, mo- most most. I mean, if you go to like, you know, UCF or like the top level, like tur- people are going to get hotels there. But outside. But even there, there were some tournaments where you can still get there's campsites that people still use regularly. But most, you know, party tournaments or festival tournaments or, you know, anything outside of like an official national championship or or like an official European championship. They're pretty much all camping tournaments here. So as, as Ravi alluded, we're playing together on a team, Euro Trash, you know, uh, some parts Eurozone, some parts in the field. I say some because they're not measured, just kind of, you know, unmeasured <laughs> pours of both into the concoction that is this team. I'm really excited about it. Um, that said, I'm also pretty unprepared. I know not that much about Windmill other than what I've heard. I mean, what I've heard sounds amazing and enticing, but I'm, I'm walking in a little bit blind here. And also it's a camping tournament. And I'm um, I'm going to be flying out to Europe uh, the weekend in advance on the Sunday after this comes out. Because actually, if you're listening to this on Friday, June 10th, my birthday will be the next day. 30. Big 30 for me. Ooh. So doing a little 30th birthday trip out here. Um, but it's, you know, packing light, not going to be, you know, certainly not uh, paying for like the airline um you know, the, the this class of seats where you can actually bring bags and stuff. So I'm basically just bringing like a tournament bag with me for a week in Europe. Is that going to be enough? How, how am I going to survive this tournament with basically a bag that has like cleats, couple jerseys and a water bottle? Well, you're you're very lucky, Pat, as as, as you've uh, seen in our little WhatsApp chat, which use WhatsApp here in Europe. We didn't use any group me here to organize our team. Mm-hmm. Um I, I, I luckily found a friend. I remember there was a friend of mine who I used to play with and he doesn't he has kids now. He's not really playing anymore. But I, I remembered that one time he came, he he brought a 10 person tent to a tournament. And so I asked him because I'm like, you know, his team, your trash, we have quite a few Americans coming over. They won't be able to bring tents. Uh, can I borrow that? And he was luckily nice enough to be like, yeah, yeah, you can grab it. And so I'm oh, going to have a, have a nice big tent for all you Americans uh, coming over. <laughs> Just keep but us I, all together in a little tent. That's probably yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would bring a sleeping bag if you can fit it. Um, <laughs> be, gonna, okay, uh, how do handy. I acquire a sleeping bag is the real question here. Because I um, definitely do not have room to bring one. Ooh, that's going to be that's going to be a challenge. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, oof. how about this, Pat? Space blanket. Those oh, metallic yeah. Sheets. <laughs> Just get two of those. You'll be good. TSA will have no issues with me bringing them on an airplane. No mm-hmm. questions. You can sweat through the edibles. You right. know, just <laughs> another move those. one year there was um one of the nights of the part there, there was the main party in the big tent and then at some point uh there were just like whispers around that like you got to go to the shower four you know what's going on shower four? and they just like had a hidden separate rave going on in one of the showers in one of the changing rooms and so there's ways if you can get your way into those types of parties or those situations sneak your way like into a changing room and sleep inside i've definitely seen people try and mm. do that move but it's you know there's going to be 1200 people there so you got to be lucky like, that like you on can, a bench in a locker room like on a bench in a locker room that might like be warmer. Just like a bunch of like old man ass has yeah. been okay got look it. if you don't i'm, I'm trying you gotta get creative right, no, if you're no, not gonna bring a sleeping bag to window yeah. <laughs> um I, maybe i can try to barter for one i don't know what i can <laughs> What I can offer that would be 
capable of it's probably it's gonna have to be me trying to like earn my way to one you know someone just be like <laughs> i will i will shotgun 20 beers and then i will run a mile if i run that mile in under seven minutes <laughs> please give me a place to sleep you are planning to fail right now Pat. you're coming <laughs> with your partner right so that 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 rules out the obvious options that some people might try and uh well, score a, score rule them all well. the way out um <laughs> i know europe a little more enlightened about these matters catch me in shower four <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're survivors. We we we, we survived. Um, Mars was a camping tournament that uh, our, our tent in 2019 got like ripped up in a typhoon, and we figured it out. Um, so I think we'll be okay. But any okay, anything about Team Euro Trash that I should know? Because I know almost no one going, other than like the few handpicked select squad of Americans that have <laughs> are uh, are making the journey over. Yeah, no, it's it's friends of mine uh, from Europe coming over. So the the, the biggest (laughs) I I still don't know how this happened, because just last minute we found out that also a friend of the show of Eurozone, Sfera Stutz, who we've given who uh, Tad, I think, you know, pretty well. You've played Pelt with with him before. Yeah, Uh, he was at uh, Siege two years in a row. He was he was playing on some other team, but he's the man. We we definitely uh, we threw back some some two boars together. So since yeah, since he knew Tad and since he's new in Eurozone, he was one of the first people I invited to the team. Like we tried to make this team like I think the first COVID windmill, like that was the first attempt. Right. Already. Right. We've been talking about this for years now. Um, and he was all in right away. And then he, he's playing for he plays for KFK, who's going to Worlds and is and KFK is going to be at windmill. And so I assumed, you know, they wouldn't let him play with some slapdick team from two podcasts. He'd have to play like it's a big preparation tournament <laughs> for these Worlds teams. So I, I, you know, I counted him out and then like last week he was like, yeah, so I talked to them and I convinced them I'm going to play with you guys. I still don't know why he wants to play with us. Amazing. <laughs> but uh, he's going to be there. Um, we got our friend Ned Garvey, who's uh, our connection that's um, done a lot of the reporting on Eastern Europe. Also mm-hmm. played with Salisbills. He was going to bring a couple of Russians with him, but uh, the world uh, changed a right. bit and that's that's no longer in the cards so we don't have any russians coming with us uh, for it's, obvious it's a reasons. tough tournament to get into though it's high demand like i yeah. went uh, i sat on the pod a few weeks ago like oh yeah a few months ago like, yeah i'm gonna be going to windmill excited about it and just started getting emails from random <laughs> weirdos of like hey do you have a team i can play for <laughs> yeah it's especially hard for american teams like i, I still remember for, we didn't have american teams come to the tournament for a long time it was like maybe the 12th or 13th edition that american teams started to come but once they did, uh, like I, I'm, I'm, I can also reveal that I'm, I'm part of. I help, I help them out with a team selection. That's one of the things that I do for windmills. Help them out with that. So that also assured our spot in. But like, it's really hard for American teams because we try to usually like if it's a Worlds year, we'll let any team that's going to Worlds in, and then we try and do geographic diversity. And we don't want like too many teams from one country coming in. Like that's part of the vibe is that like it's a huge cultural mecca thing. So there's just way like all of a sudden it got word got to America. And then like we got like 10 to 12 American teams every year sign up. And like it's just really hard to get in now uh, because, yeah, we're not going to let that many of them in. What's the coolest bribe you've been offered by an American <laughs> team or any team, I guess, to let them into the tournament? Um, I actually don't think I've been offered any like, Europeans just have a different vibe to them. Maybe that's maybe that's a secret if you're an American I team. bribery was like totally cool over there. <laughs> Yeah, you don't talk about it on a podcast, Pat. That's the uh, point. (laughs) Robbie, can you be bought? Do you have a price? Uh, Everyone has a price, Ted. That's uh, (laughs) Ted DiBiase said that. (laughs) I'm not sure what mine is. You got to make an offer. That's, uh, you know, I haven't dug that deep into my soul. It'll be one of those things where I'll know it if I see it, if it's worth it. But uh, I'm not sure. Perhaps you got to take a shot. 
Take your shot. One day you could do a favor for me. <laughs> uh, hey, what is the green bid? I'm on the website. Yeah, that was the thing they introduced this year. Um, they obviously like windmill is is this it's still Europe still kind of has this hippie vibe of ultimate that I think also is kind of lost in the US and, uh, you know, big into sustainability and stuff. And so they windmill obviously has a pretty big carbon carbon footprint. Teams are flying all in. Um, So they reached out to teams to be like, what are you going to do? Uh, We're going to let five teams in that, like, are going to do something to help offset the carbon footprint of windmill. And uh, I wish I knew off the top of my head, like what the teams did that got in. Um, I think they were looking at sustainability things, but also like any type of like progressively cool social thing that's going on. So I know like Flying Rabbits um, got in because they they wrote this gender equity manual that like a lot of European teams use now. And Rainbow Brigade, which is an um, LGBTQ uh, promoting team that's come for a, lo- a long time, like they got in because they they work on a lot of those issues. And then I know a couple of the other teams I don't sadly i can't remember off the top of my head what they did to get in like i think it was the hanover team from fanatics and i think there was an irish team that um got in off of like some green thing where they're gonna plant some trees or something i'm not sure they're all Meanwhile, gonna bike there from America, ireland or something to try to earn your way into a bit at fool's fest you have to like put together a video of you peeing in your own mouth and then <laughs> like cool. so all right, right. you're in yeah <laughs> I want to ask you, I'm looking at the team's list. Genius or really stupid? The team name, mm-hmm. waitlist number one. They're an accepted team. So they were, they were waitlisted. Wait, fuck. This ruins it. God so, damn oh, this it. This is great, though. This means <laughs> genius because they got put to the top of the waitlist. So this was if you, if you click on the team, this is actually this like Seattle all star team that's going to come in and dick on everybody and hopefully give grit a good game in the final. But like, uh, yeah, they got uh, they oh, were great. we we waitlisted them. Glad I'm going start. all the way to Europe just to play Frisbee with more people from Seattle. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> So I think their original name was like Sea Sharks, like S-E-A, like Seattle Sharks, some name like that. And then they got waitlisted. And so they changed their name to waitlist number one and then got some team dropped out. I think an Israeli team dropped out and they got in. So I am so sorry to have brought this up (laughs) because they're from Seattle mainly (laughs) filled with regret. Sea Sharks is a bad name. Spelled shoehorn the Seattle way. Waitlist number one, if that was their original name, is genius. <laughs> I guess I give them half credit for sticking with waitlist number one. Sea sharks is redundant too. Like land sharks. Okay, sure. Sky sharks, you know? Dirt sharks. Sea shark, you're already. Ooh, sharks are already dirt in sharks. Mud dirt sharks. sharks. Mud sharks. Bucknell. Um, First Bucknell reference of the fuck. So, so uh, you know, I, I feel like. You've already mentioned a little bit how, like, you know, they're trying to limit the number of American teams coming and like every other cool thing in the world, like American tourism gets a whiff of it and all of a sudden we're overrunning it. Uh, So for all the Americans who are coming over for their first major European tournament or their first windmill or something this year, what are the tips you can give on how to not be a huge asshole at windmill? (laughs) (laughs) Um, One, read the whiff diff rules. If you come in oh, and like dude, get angry yes. and call the wrong travel on somebody and are indignant about it and like whatever, like, yeah, that's rule it number seems, one. This seems minor, but it's actually huge. I remember when I was living in London, I went to a tournament and the whiff diff rules for pre-stalling are different. <laughs> yeah. And I was like 
standing over a disc before tapping it in a little bit because I was like trying to like I was pointing like no no like like set up over here or whatever and the team I was playing got really really upset at me and I was like look I mean you can start pre-stalling me if you want like that's cool like there's like a rule for this but like the rules are different in Wiftif and they had to call a whole spirit timeout and everything and it got yeah. bad so read the rules read read or the rules. have the one person on your team who is the person who will read the rules like explain them to you which is more more likely <laughs> I think I mentioned this last time I came on the pod, but um, if there's a call and it's against you or, you know, don't just auto contest it. <laughs> yeah, actually, like and if somebody contests it uh, like a call or if somebody disagrees with you, it's not usually like, oh, call contest. It's done. Like you actually have to kind of talk about it for a second and listen to the other person's point of view and like not just think there's some evil enemy and uh like actually try and empathize with somebody against your bias. I think that's a really tricky thing I had to learn coming from the US to Europe. What are you implying, Robin? <laughs> <laughs> when I played when I played in college in the US, it was like, which I'm sure you guys did too. Um, you basically thought the other team was an enemy. They were cheaters and anything that they did, you know, you didn't respect their rules, even though there was the spirit of the game in the background. And I've seen at high level now you guys are all used to observers. So anytime there's a call, you just are like, oh, I'll just let them deal with it. Eh, we don't do that in Europe. We actually still keep self-vitiating going and, you know, treat it, you know, with, a, you know, the amount of respect that that is not really there as much in the U.S. right now. So what you're telling me is that the situation is ripe for people to abuse and break the self-officiation rules that led to <laughs> yep. the implementation of observers. Got it. Got it. They're got all it. marks. They're, They're all, all marks <laughs> over in Europe. Are there game advisors in the finals, Robbie? No, no. Windmill. No, there are game advisors at like whiffed if things, even the European championships that we don't use game advisors like that's there are some Europeans who are already against that, that that's like already too much third party officiation for a lot of even high level European players. Some people like them. Um, but there's, that's still that, that's still a debate. That's like the RSD debates of like, you know, the early 2000s. Um, that's still going on here. <laughs> so any any off the field tips on how to not be a gigantic asshole at Windmill? <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah. Um, how to not be a gigantic asshole. Or how to have a good time. Either, yeah, either you know, like, like, like just how to, <laughs> how to comport yourself in an <laughs> optimal way. <laughs> yeah, just like make friends. Uh, the, the nice thing about um, Windmill is, is well, for European t tournaments in general is that there, well, some people hate it actually, but is this mm -hmm. fact that you have a game on and a game off. It's all, there's always a buy in between rounds. And part of that in Windmill is because they have to do the re-ranking of the Swiss draw. And I won't, that's probably more of a deep look discussion. This in the fields discussion of how the ranking all works in, in Windmill. But like, um, use that time to like meet people. People are friendly. People want to hang out. Like, um, you're going to have to do the spirit circle thing. Oh yeah. Did you guys do spirit circles in the U S right now? Or do you guys, uh, you still don't. Like, like the religious college schools do. And it's weird. <laughs> like they make you pray with them. That means something else over there. Yeah, so there's there's at the end of games in Europe, we do spirit circles where you have to like get in a circle and say the same shit you say every time, like, oh, it was a great game, put up a good fight, uh, blah, 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 see you at the party, all that stuff. But it's a good chance to actually meet some people, talk to people about, you know, whatever happened in the game and just just make friends. People are friendly. Um, try and meet new people. I, I remember that also being in more, you know, American party tournaments when I went to college. Still, you kind of stayed within your own team here. Stretch out a bit. Try and, but but be nice. <laughs> what about cornering 
uh, like an Irish person and being like, I'm Irish. And then them being like, cool. So like, like, where is your family from? And then you being like, I have no idea. And then stagnating the conversation and just like getting weird. Like, is that cool to do? No, no, that's not cool okay. to do. It's, I'm right. sorry we that's didn't get good, Lorcan or Liam onto this podcast, but I'm sure they would tell you that, uh, no. <laughs> Man, that was one of their major complaints. Like every Irish ultimate player I've talked to, like, oh, fucking Americans. Just annoying the shit out of them with, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that all sounds like very good advice, and I am so excited to go over for Windmill for the first time. We're going to have, you know, we'll have a big recap afterwards if and when I... Uh, come back in one piece um, but that's not all for Robbie we are going to bring Robbie into the in the field subscribers only lounge oh, I'm for a so little subs only this. segment here uh, <laughs> an ARA ask Robbie anything uh, where we will pepper Robbie with some things um, alright so uh, we're going to cut to break here but make sure you subscribe you can come uh, hang out with Robbie and us in the lounge stick around it's in the fields Welcome back to Sin the Fields. Thanks again to Robbie for coming on the show. Very, very excited to see him in Amsterdam uh, in, a, in about a week. Um, and yeah, you know, we want to get into TTF here, but we have an email we have to address first. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how we should have a PT on the show to come by and give actual constructive help to Frisbee players and talking about how, you know, like, how do you present your injury, your symptoms, the sport itself to people who don't know about Frisbee in the PT world? And also, tell us your weird-ass stories about being a PT. I think we will maybe actually have a PT come on at some point and talk about this. But in the meantime, we do have to address <laughs> at least some of the weird story stuff. Uh, and this is from uh, Jacob Spiro. A Spiro? Probably Spiro. Gotta be Spiro. I hope I we, Spiro would be better though right that's would the it? cartoon dragon yeah in any event he you know so he, <laughs> he sends us a, like a list of just you know like weird well, hold oh, on go, pat okay hold on okay you're you're missing the most critical part here the subject line of the email which terrified me when it hit my inbox is bed guns <laughs> i'll let you pick it up from there <laughs> so he he has a couple, you know, is he, he, a couple examples of like, you know, like old dudes being really creepy and like, you know, uh, a, you know, a patient who on his first visit is telling him about an exotic movie he saw while he's working him out on a table, you know, with like a 14 year old kid on the next table down. Um, and that he starts talking about like a 2000 mile long motorcycle trip he took that involved, you know, like donkey shows and stuff. So like. But that's all kind of, I'm not saying I've heard that Jesus. stuff at PT, uh, but you've been at least adjacent to some guy. I just don't know what it is, why people, it's like physical therapist, not therapist therapist. But it is for some people just really cross those lines a lot, it seems. But the one that, the one we really have to touch on here is honorable mention clearly, clearly goes to a post-operative shoulder patient I had last year. 
Sleeping in a sling can be tricky, so I was asking him how sleep was going. He tells me he's sleeping on the couch, so I start talking to him about strategies to transition back to bed, but he says, Oh, I always sleep on the couch. My bed is covered with guns. (laughs) After some further questions, it becomes apparent that much of the available horizontal space in this man's rental home are covered in firearms. What the fuck? That's so insane. And just matter of factly telling that to your PT of like, oh, no, 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 like a normal thing that we all acknowledge. Uh, I just, I always sleep on the couch because my guns need a bed, you know? Right. That's what's... (laughs) Just lie. Like, don't... (laughs) Don't share that. Pat, what is... I'm trying to think now, like, what is something that I have the most of? Like, I guess if I if I laid out all the Frisbees in my home, no, I still am not, my bed would not be covered with them. I would not interfere me sleeping. Right. I mean, I wonder, it's a question of sort of like, is it that he has so many guns that he just, there's nowhere else to put them but the bed? Or is he's like, no, or the guns need to be guns tucked in Guns and they need... Right. They need support. They, they need constitutional support. protections. God damn it. Those protections right. involve getting tucked in and me giving them a little warm milk at night. That's a good question. Fucking gun nut. The second one is much creepier. It's it what's crazy is like that scenario, guns on the bed because these are like my children mm-hmm. is worse than the possibility of him having three thousand guns. And that's horrifying. That is the craziest yeah yeah um, PT bit we got so uh jesus thanks right. jacob <laughs> thanks thanks dog jacob also uh pt involved with the madison radicals so we might uh I, I think next show probably we got a lot of good emails from people talking about their experiences in the kind of like early days of the audl and some of the crazy stuff that went on in this yeah. 10th anniversary season uh so i think next show we're going to be talking about that a little bit more uh, maybe with some special guests potentially that could be fun. All right. But now we come to the point of the program. That is the point that we're at right now. It's trash, trash, fuck boy. Uh, Tad, why don't you kick us off with the trash here? All right, Pat, our first trash here. You know, I've been seeing a lot of people and a lot of it is like, so obviously just trying to get like cool points or to appear like sweet on Twitter. A lot of people talking about like, spiking and trash talking and ultimate and i'm good with all of that i don't think anyone should be tagged with a disc but there are situations where that is warranted i think Mm -hmm. i guess the only thing that i really think is fucked up and not cool in that whole realm is some bullshit ass o-line side cutter who actually sucks and has a very incomplete game talking shit when they <laughs> score a breakside goal where they were like thrown open. I think that we can all agree is corny right, and dumb. Agreed. So if you do that, fucking weak-ass side cutter, one-trick motherfucker, <laughs> you're trash. Trash! That's right! Oh, man. Um, all right, next up here, uh, this, is, this comes from another listener email. Um, and this is maybe something that some of you, uh, have heard of already, but for those of you who have not, let me introduce you to the duck wing. So there was some Reddit post of a guy saying that he's invented a new break mark throw called the duck wing, 
which I don't know. How would you describe it, Tad? It's a it's, useless so there, uh, terminology on this differs. Some people mm-hmm. call it a chicken wing. But it's not Some, quite a chicken wing. It's like chicken wing is out to the side. This is directly over the head. Right. So it's he's throwing it over his own head and the mark's head, but your grip is like the same as a useless or a chicken wing. It's just directly over the head. Yeah. Um so Eric Metcalf sends us an email. Yes, Fuck like, Nell. Fuck yeah. Nell, my man Eric. Old Metro East. Hell yeah, uh, baby. He's saying, like, is it serious? Is it parody? Because if it's a parody, I will say this is like a 20-minute long video of just people throwing the same dumb throw over their own head. With if the it's a parody, this is next level genius. The automated voice thing where it's like, use Duckwing to break the mark. Right. Use <laughs> Duckwing to throw goal. It's like, stop, please. So what does it say about the state of Frisbee society if this is not parody? You know what I mean? I blame <sighs> I blame Hex, uh, personally. In any event, Eric... Uh, continues to write. Um, there are a bunch of posts on Reddit of people showing videos of them practicing offhanded throws, and all these people say that ambidextrous players are the future. So my question to you is, is spending lots of time practicing throwing with your offhand, A, time well spent, because we'll use it all the time in games, you are the future of ultimate, B, you want to throw some quick, short uh, offhand backhands, you might do it occasionally on give and goes and dumps, C, a complete waste of time, D, a total waste of time, or E, a total and complete waste of time. <laughs> so before we get into who the trash is in this situation, Tad, why don't you, why don't you fill out your Scantron bubble here? I don't think you should take your, the disc out of your right hand, or your dominant hand. And I understand that that is an old person take, mm-hmm. but you should not take the disc out of your sword hand, and if you have a good push sword pass, hand. yeah, you heard me. <laughs> You heard me. <laughs> you should not take the disc out of your sword hand, and if you need to throw an offhand backhand, I have a push pass for that. That's fucking sweet, dog. So I would say I'm going E, complete and total waste of time. Wow. I could not disagree more. I I get it. I mean, look, whatever. But... <laughs> I have I have a righty throw for that. And people I mean, look, all right, people throwing lefty flicks or like non-dominant hand flicks, that is an absolute waste of time. You are I cannot imagine allocating time to do that. You don't think that's the future of ultimate? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I could see it being the future of ultimate if there were enough resources available to be invested into the game that we got to the point where everyone had enough time to like practice with both hands the way like in basketball, you, you know, you dribble with both hands and stuff like that. But I don't, th- I don't think the sport has enough runway to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to get to that, to get to that point. I think B though, I think I, I love throwing little lefty backhands, little, you know, lefty scubers, lefty scuba feels real okay, good. That's, that's a legitimate breakthrough. Uh, you know what? I'll walk it back a I'll little bit I'll even say here. this. The Sadie Jazerski high-release lefty flick, like the elevator lefty flick over the shoulder, is pretty yeah. nice. It's pretty I would, nice. I would like to ask Sadie a question about that. And if, Sadie, if you're listening, I cannot imagine that you are. But if you are, is Sadie one of those people who is like uh, actually left-handed but grew up throwing a lot of righty throws because 
school right. or whatever made them do that because those are the people I've seen that have actual both throws. Like, I have not seen like righty dominant, like super righty dominant people like develop a lefty flick that I would call, yeah, worthwhile. Right. And it's not, you know, and it's a very, it's a very specific throw. It's not like a full flick. You know, it's not like, you know, your elbow's not really bent. You don't have like the twist and all the body movement in it. It's just a straight elevator. You know, you kind of, it's like one motion. It's nice. I mean, up. yeah. I, I mean, it probably helps to take out those like variables of other like motion of like, you know, having your, having your elbow locked, I'm sure is a big advantage. And, and you don't have to pivot crucially. Well, I'm I'm uh I'm old. I'm incapable of change. I've thrown I threw one lefty backhand in a fall league game one time on a given on like a fat like a fast break give and go and never and again. And it felt wrong. It felt I was <laughs> made myself sick. I self-flagellated that evening. Good. Good. Um well, to to get back to the segment here, uh trash is clearly the duck uh the duck wing. Uh, is we're it? Not it. We're, oh yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it. I will say the first the first throw you watch, you're like, yeah, that would get blocked, and you can't throw that in the wind. But then, like, because it's just him throwing it like a hundred times in what looked to be a staged games almost. And then after the fifth one, you're like, boy, that had some zip on it, didn't it? <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> You're right, Pat. No, the duck wing it's the is... It's 20-minute video. If it's sincere. If it's sincere, right. then it's trash. If it's parody, then we're trash for making it trash. And that's a, that's a that's a compact I feel comfortable making. You're garbage. All right. Lastly here, Buckboy, take us home, Tad. All right, Pat. On Friday, uh, I went to... They do these cool shows in Pittsburgh... A guy who does a local morning radio show, Randy Bauman, he uh, he does these ramble style shows, which are like an homage to the Levon Helm rambles. Uh, Levon Helm, of course, of the band. So they play the Last Waltz, which is the band's final concert, the Scorsese documentary. They play it like pretty much cover to cover. So I'm standing there uh, in the crowd, and it's like not it's not packed enough for this. Guy comes up, gives me the full arm bump. Like the turning, like spill a little bit of your drink, arm bump, says nothing, posts up in front of me, pulls out his phone, takes a picture with the flash on, which is just annoying as fuck. But like he's just posted up right in front of me and he turns to like no one as Cripple Creek is starting and he goes, I love this song. You're a fuck boy, dude. Of course you love Cripple Creek. Everyone loves Chris. The live version of Cripple Everyone is here for this. You're ruining it. You're making it about yourself. Fuck. This is one of the most unambiguous fuckboys we've had in a while, I think. I, you didn't tell me about this before the show, what it was. You're just like, I've got one. And boy, boy, you got one. Man, it just... Yeah. It's like, pick two of those things to do. Pick zero of them pick zero don't don't you can't do all three what's the appropriate way to behave at concert low profile i don't know not that right not make it about you Uh, i love this song loudly like announcing it like 
cool to sing along the songs, though, I think. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. This is a like show, show, show of covers, by show, the way. Show don't tell that you love a song. You know what I mean? Show it respect. Don't tell us how much you love it. You love this song? What's the name of this song, guy? Did he know it was Cripple Creek? Was he like, did he know happening? Unclear. Unclear. Also, Pat, I found out about, I don't know, an hour before that, that my license was expired, and the the door person was like, yeah, so this is expired. I'm like, that's clearly me. I'm 36. Please, for the love of fuck. And she's like, yeah, no, just just put your hands up here on the thing. She takes out the wide Sharpie. No. And I got, gave me the double X, full, like, straight edge, like... I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wore I that, that, that shit off. Of pride back when you are like, 15, you know? Like, yeah. I went to it. I went to a show at a bar, and they had to... They had to, they had to, they had to go out of their way to stop me from drinking alcohol. Yeah. That's yeah. also what I was I'm probably reading too much into this this fuck boy because of I like let myself down and was I was marked as a child. How'd you get home? What do you mean? Well you had an expired license, so you so you didn't you didn't drive. I right? didn't drive, no. Yeah. We did Uber. Not. We did Uber. My hey, mom picked my mom picked us up. It was yeah. cool. Very <laughs> <Pretty> chill. <laughs> ah. All right, that's gonna do it this week. Thanks again to Robbie for coming by. Stick around for our segment in the subs only, ARA, Ask Robbie Anything, where we will ask Robbie some things. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna ask him some weird shit. Yeah. So please <laughs> join us in the subscribers only lounge. Dad's been, Dad's some stuff he's been waiting to get off his chest for years now. So mm-hmm. this will be good. This will be good. All right. Uh, you can hit us up with any questions, comments, concerns, crazy stories. Tell us what you're doing to fill the scheduling void in your club season this year. Uh, or if you disagree with Tad and think that lefty throws are cool and okay. Here's a, lefty throws by righties. Lefty throws by lefties, we can all agree are fucked yeah, up. Yeah, this is like... Right? Yeah. yeah. And look, I get it. I get it. It's just, that's... I. Learn, have, get a righty throw that goes there. I don't know. <laughs> All right. For Tad Whistle, I'm Patrick Stegemiller. It's rich. It's compelling. It's in the fields. Mm-hmm. Which band? We can't do this. We cannot <laughs> do this. <laughs>